Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Yeah, I'm going to actually start this week off at the exact same place that I started last week off. Does this sound good? Those of you who were with us, so we're in a new series, and I read this verse at the very beginning. Uh, if you are new with us, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and you have come on a good day. I promise. Uh, this is going to be a, declare, uh, a declaration over you as well. This in Second Peter, Peter writes this, His divine power, the Lord's divine power, has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Do you know that verse? Uh, could, could you put it up for them? His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. But it continues through the knowledge of Him. His divine power has given us everything needed. And I ended last week in a place where uh, we talked about honor. And we're in this new series called One Flesh. But I'm going to tell you right now, the most difficult thing is when we get stuck in this feeling of being powerless. And where the Lord's power has given us everything needed for life and godliness, but we feel powerless. And this is powerful, like uh, the, this, this reality shift of saying, okay, I may not, but you can. I may not be able to, but you can. Uh, and the interesting thing is anyone ever feel like the most powerless things in my life has always been like relationships. Anyone ever feel like that? Like it can even just be the simplest of things. Like I'm, I'm waiting on, uh, please, I hope he does not watch uh, he never would. I'm waiting on just information from our builder. Like Kate and I are just like wanting to build one day. And so we're just waiting. The brother has had it for two weeks now. And I'm like, I hate waiting on other people. You feel powerless when someone else is involved in something, right? Because you can't. Now, if you could do it, you'd be done, right? Because, uh, but Because you feel if something was in someone else's hands and I can't control it, I'm literally powerless to see it through. And that's what some of our relationships feel like. Like, how has the Lord given me everything needed for life and godliness when he has also given me sometimes a very ungodly partner in life? Like, or not, that's not just Kate, but just un- ungodly, like, friend or ungodly, like, do you remember the ungodly dating relationship? And how, then, do I have everything needed? Because it feels really difficult. I feel powerless, I feel stuck. I feel struggling. I feel angry. I, I feel confused. And so this morning, uh, we are in this, and this series of One Flesh is really for all of us. Um, if you are a believer in the room, Scripture says that you've been hidden with Christ in the heavenlies, that you have been made one with him. You're one flesh that now gets to forever glorify the Lord. If you're dating, you are one flesh dating another one flesh. Hopefully, they, they love Jesus. Uh, if not, we can talk about this later, okay? Uh, but you're dating someone who is one flesh glorifying the Lord. If you're married, now that gets a little, little crazier, a little harder, because now you are literally one flesh together glorifying the Lord, under submission to the Lord. And we've been diving into then these, okay, Pastor Greg, if we have everything needed, what are those everythings? And so we've been diving into some uh, what I can call power tools and relationships. Uh, I asked my kid, my kids asked me last week, what have you been talking about? And I said, we're talking about power tools for relationships. And they're like, like drills. 
Yes, Sauls, you betcha. No, so power tools, these are tools that we can add in to a relationship that the enemy flees when these step in. And so last week was honor. That, that uh, way out the roof, out the window in, in relationships in the world is this idea of honor, that honor is transactional in the world. If you missed last week's message, dive into it. Honor is beautifully uh, powerful if it's defined by the Lord. But a lot of you had to experience something. You had to experience this redefinition of that word, right? What does it look like to actually be valued? You are going to need a new definition for today's word too. In fact, um, I've been really praying for you. I've been praying for all of you because when I say this word, there's going to be two things that come up. We're going to have a power tool today and we're talking about it. But there's going to be like two alternate things that come up. Some of you are going to be like, okay, I wonder where Pastor Greg's going with this word. Others of you, you are already going to assume I'm going somewhere and you will either check out or you will gut reaction of shame or you'll look at your partner and feel weird or you'll look at your friend next to you who knows your background and they know your, you know, and you know theirs and it's just, we cannot allow that to happen, Okay. We're going to give a word today. This is a power tool in our relationships, but it has to be a word defined by the Lord. Deal? We go with that? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to read it. Okay. I put pray, question mark. I feel like I need to pray right here. Um, God in this place, I just pray for eyes that hear you. Lord, we sing last week that, that we have not been given a spirit of timidity, but one of power, of love, of a sound mind. So God, in this place, I pray just a binding of any shame, any, any fear, any pain, that we are all coming with very different backgrounds. Some of you grew up in a household where, where you did not have mom or dad present. Others of you had both mom and dad present. Others of you, you, you didn't know who, who would be present that day. Some day it was mom, but other days she was not acting like mom. And regardless of whatever the background is, when we hear this word, Jesus, will you protect us? Will you give us a hunger to say, okay, what is it in your name, Jesus? What is this in your economy, Jesus? What is this in your defining power? So give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. You're going to call us and we will follow. To you be the glory, Jesus. Amen. Jesus speaks this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. This is verse 8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. The power tool that you better believe the enemy will flee on is when we stand with armed with this, purity. Purity. Now, when I say that, be with me. Don't go, go on. I, I grew up in what we can call the purity culture of, of, of our Christian life, like with the purity rings. Anyone, anyone have those? And, and I remember the imposed shame from people, from myself, from the enemy, just along this word of purity. I'm going to ask you to strip that aside because blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus says this, for they will see God, and before you start assuming where we are going, before your walls come up, before your, your mind checks out, before your past starts making decisions, okay? Sit with me, okay? Sit with me. This is a safe place. You are safe. This is a safe place. We're going to start. Uh, there are two definitions, two Greek words for purity. And in our English and the purity culture, 
we sadly have lumped them together and the enemy has really had fun with that. So if you will just sit with me, there are two main Greek words for purity in the Bible and they're both powerful. One is a state of being and the other is something that we can now do. And so we're gonna get into this a little bit, but this blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Jesus was very specific when he used that word. This word pure in here is my wife's namesake. Uh, any Catherines in the room or Kates in the room, this is the word. It is katharos. Katharos. It is a beautiful Greek word. This word pure me, could mean ritualistically clean, but it means holistically clean. This word pure literally means to be innocent, unmixed. And I I want you to, like, purity of heart then means, like, my inner self has been changed. The cool thing about this word is even the Greeks, are you ready? Like, even in pagan theology, this is a word that men and women would strive to be, but even in Greek theology, they did not believe anyone could ever be Catharos. It was something you strived for, but you couldn't be it. It was unobtainable by human hands. And then Jesus, in this culture, speaks, blessed are the pure in heart. That would have been to the Greeks. How? That would have been to the disciples. How? For this word was common with Jews. You want to know when it was used for Jews? They would, we remember in Easter, they would sacrifice the animal the, uh, the, the priest would sprinkle the blood and Hebrews tells us that all of Israel would be katharos, would be purified. They would be purified. In, in uh, Jew understanding, katharos would only come through the hand of the Lord. Purity could only be given from the hand of the Lord. And then Hebrews, the writer of it, goes even further. And this is the beauty of this. He goes, if the spilling of bulls and goats could give us purity, how much more will the spilling of the blood of Jesus cleanse us from all unrighteousness? How much more will it purify us, catharos us? It's interesting though. Even in the Greeks, this was something unobtainable. But Hebrews knew, no, he, human hands cannot make katharos possible, but given in the hands of God, he can claim it. And so when we talk about this, this is the epitome of purity. But if it cannot be obtained by human hands, I'm going to just silence the voice of the enemy and say the opposite is also true. It cannot be lost by human hands. Ooh, what? What, Greg? What does that mean? If purity, katharos, the epitome, the beauty, the image of cleanliness cannot be gained by human hands, then it can also never be lost by human hands. It is something spoken and and dictated and proclaimed by only one voice has the ability to speak it, the voice of the Lord. And once it is, it is. Purity, katharos, is something beautiful. It cannot change now the epitome. It has nothing to do with my actions, but everything to do with what God, listen, has forgiven, has not forgiven, what he has cleansed, and what he has not cleansed. 
I'm going to tell you right now, when I say purity is needed in your relationships, this is not something uh, that like you have to obtain as a Christ follower. This is not something you have to strive to, um, to grasp. You don't grasp purity. Purity was put on you, cleansed. Purity is now it. I wrote a few things. Purity, no matter your background, your sins of the past is now something we wield as a follower of Christ. Purity is a weapon in the kingdom of God. Not something we have to grab and use, but something we've been given by the blood of Jesus. Is this making sense? Are you with me already? Like catharos, that word, blessed are the pure in heart, but it's beautiful for they will see God. It is a blessing. Now, I also need to tell you, there's this moment in my background, maybe you're with me. If not, then I, I mean, I'll just stand over here by myself on this, this little carpet. There's this moment in my background where this shift happened in my thinking. How can I be good, clean, pure, but got to keep sinning? And I kept sinning, and I can't change. In fact, I want to sin, you want the impose, that, that guilt, that healthy amount of guilt begins to fade. And you remember that moment when the guilt shifted into what we can call shame, which is like this, this, uh, this defining identity of our sin? I remember this very strongly, this moment of, of I've done something wrong and now it shifts when uncleansed by the Lord, when unforgiven, all these, it shifts to now I am something wrong. Do y'all remember that shift in your background? Like, I've done something wrong to I am something wrong. This is the moment when the enemy likes to get you to doubt the original voice of the Lord when he said, Katharos, over you, pure. And guess what happens? The blessing is, this isn't blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, so strive for purity so you can see him. No, this is a claim. You are clean, and now you get the blessing of seeing him. The enemy is like, I need to distract them from believing they are clean so that then they forget they can see him. I think we can all realize, like, I, just if you want to take this note, like, the enemy cannot take away eternal blessings. Sometimes we give him way too much power. He cannot take away eternal blessings. But what he can do, he can distract. He can demean your blessing. He can distort your perception of that blessing. And so my life, I mean, I have, I have years under my belt of being a Christ follower named pure in Jesus, yet I struggle to see God. Anyone else? I could not see God in me. I could not see God in them. I could not see God in my addictions. I could not see God in this. And as that kept happening, this hardening, I, I got further away from that identifying factor of who I actually am. Pure. Anyone else remember? You remember that in our background? Maybe you're in that right now. You are, is okay. The enemy cannot take away an eternal blessing. He can distract. And some of you might have been and are being distracted. It's interesting though, as a husband now, purity is not something that I strive for as I seek to do better every day. Purity is something that I live in. I do better from. Does that make sense? I don't try to be pure for my wife. I am pure 
And from that belief, that identity shift, from that confidence, I gladly operate. I, I move from purity as a single woman is not something that like could be lost with a slip of your hand. Purity as a single, a single man can, or even a man in general, like cannot be lost from a heavy pour on a cup. No, but instead, purity is what allows that heavy pour, I'll sit it down and not drink it. Purity is what allows us to do things that pure people do. It doesn't shift. It doesn't take away. What the Lord says is clean is clean. I just need you to hear this. It's not something at stake when I make a mistake. But it is something that needs to be believed, to be tended, to be owned, and to be utilized, power tool in our relationships is this word purity. I wrote this, purity is the ground that I walk on. Like if you're a man or a woman in the room like, and you are in Christ, then you are pure. The issue, however, is now we gotta walk in it. What, your purity is not at stake, but your use of it is. Do you hear me? Your use of it is. If you're a single man, you get to powerfully use purity. If you are a married woman, you get to powerfully use purity. It's not the, your purity, the identity that is at stake. It is your use of it. And so that brings us to the second words. Because I don't know about you, but like uh, sometimes my heart can get hardened. Um, and when I'm hardened, I can tend to do a little bit of weird things, right? We tend to overanalyze. We tend to distract ourselves. We need not just a constant identity of like, I'm pure in Christ, but there's more. There's a second word. And this is where some of you have let shame sit in is because the English defines, defines everything as pure, but there's two words. The second word is this word, hagnizo. And I want you to sit in, in this with me. Hagnizo is a really neat one. Hagnizo, unlike katharos, uh, which just means the epitome of pure, something unattainable by human hands, but can be granted by God, who he says, hagnizo is something that can be obtained by human hands. It's a purity like, hey, bro, wash your face. It's a little messy. Uh, like, wash your face. Uh, or, or when you're, like, kids are dirty and their clothes are dirty, hagnizo is the act of daily purifying very tangible things. It's this, this act of, 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 of steadily moving forward in cleanliness, right? Like, you might be pure, but hagnizo is that daily work, that daily working out. And it's interesting, though, because... We see it, and it sort of messes with us. Some of you have hated the book of James. And you're like, I don't, I don't say hate. Oh, you've really struggled with the book of James. Because there's a verse like this. James chapter 4, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you're like, how am I supposed to purify my hearts? If, if blessed are the pure of heart, and they will see God. And now I have to purify my heart, and now I have to do the one purifying. And we sometimes get into this, who is it? Is it me? Is it God? Is it Why? And we feel stuck in this loop of sin. This word purify is hagnizo. Hey, I need you to do your work of cleaning the outside. Do your work of cleaning those little daily things. Not so that you will be catharos, but because you are catharos. There's another one though. Uh, Peter writes this. Hey, you have purified your own souls by the obedience to the truth 
This isn't catharos. You have not catharosed your own soul. You have not given yourself the epitome of purity, but you have hagnizot. You have washed yourself by obeying the word, by, by, by obeying what God is calling true. And here's another one right here. Uh, John says, all who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, I really want to get this in. Do you see the word your, your own, themselves? Like this is interesting. Hagnizo is a personal responsibility word, which is why hagnizo is a personal responsibility word. This is why relationships are so hard because it's not just their responsibility to show up, right? It's yours too. Do you, do you hear me? This is why relationships are so hard. It's not just their responsibility to, to think about what you want. It's your responsibility to also consider them. It's not their responsibility to fix all the problems. It's your responsibility to own up some things. Hagnizo is this personal responsibility word. Now, listen, you do not purify your own heart. Hagnizo your heart so that you can have a catharos heart, pure heart. No, you hagnizo yourself because you are Catharos. Another way to say this, some of you need to hear this. We do not do purifying work so we can be pure. We do it because we are pure. We do it because we are pure. Some of you don't even want to do the good thing because you have attached too much good or bad onto your identity. And now anytime someone says you miss, you messed up, you walk away thinking your identity is messed up. Don't you? You have met, we have blended these, I do things because I am clean. I don't do things to be clean. I do them because I am. Some of you, like, you really get offended when someone tells you that you've messed up. You're so enmeshed in doing right that you will not hear that you just need to hagnizo the situation. Instead, you think, I can never fix myself. And it's, that's God's work. It's his work. It's your job to do your responsibility, Hagnizo, to, to do your work of cleaning. But goodness, this is where Paul says, like, work out your salvation. God did it, but now we work it out. Just husbands and wives, I, I just want to talk to you real quick. You ready? Do you remember that day when you got married? Uh, you remember that day you got married and you stood up there and you got, you got married together? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, dating people, engaged people. We have two in the room that just got engaged. So that's pretty cool. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dating people. One day you may stand up and get married. I just need to, I'm going to go beat the dead horse so you get this. You will, state of being, become married, right? I'll get the opportunity to tell, like, in front of all these people, you are husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. You became married, state of being. Can we all agree that day two, that does not mean that brother just starts acting like married man instantly? No. Does that mean instantly that he's going to be able to act like the state of being he is? Does that mean instantly she's going to act like the state of being that she is? No. We are kidding ourselves if we think we can instantly just act married because we are married. But instead, every day that I now get to choose to do actions of marriage, uh, every day it gets to further my belief of how deep this 
identity of where married is. Every day I get to act out in this, it really does pull me, center me in this belief that I am married. Now, the opposite is true. Uh, Can you go a season? Can you go a season and not do married acts and still be married? Yeah, you can. You can go a season. There's been seasons where Kate and I just have not acted very well like we were married. Where some of you maybe are like, we're really good roommates, but we struggle to be married in the season. You can go seasons not acting like a married couple, but you are. But what does that do? It does hurt your abundance of living out married life, right? That's why marriage therapy is a thing. That's why counseling is a thing, because we are married, but we're not acting like it. We need help. We, we need to, to fix this. This is the same thing. You are pure, The state of being in Jesus is catharos. You are pure. But I think we can all agree the day after you became a Christ follower does not instantly mean that you just walk in purity, right? No, you still live in this tension of I am holistically clean, yet I keep doing things that are more in line with what I want than what we want, me and God. Uh, Like, right, like more in line with uh, what I am versus what he is in me. And so purity, hagnizo, is this act of me consistently recentering my identity in him. I get to act pure because I am pure. I get to do actions that purify me. I don't show up early and set up these chairs so that you can think I'm a great pastor. I didn't show up early to fix all of this, like today to make you think that I was, it didn't, it doesn't make me better. I do it because I am clean. Why not show up? Why not keep going? Why not keep going forward? And so we have to get this thing. Now, the interesting thing is, can we go through seasons? where we are pure, but we struggle to do actions that are pure. Yeah. And despite the lies of the enemy that says, hey, you are not saved. How could a saved man do that? You are not saved. How could a woman let herself get, be in that place? Though the enemy wants to speak this, you can be pure and go seasons of not doing pure actions. But what's at stake? is the abundant life that Jesus said. I've given you life and life to the fullest. Right now you're just living life and you're like stumbling along. No, I've given you life and life to the fullness. So pick up the identity that you have as Catharos and start purifying yourself, you double-minded. Start commanding your heart to obey. Like I literally wrote this down at days. Like what Hagnizo it really is, is me living up what Paul would say, to the calling that I've received in him. That means some of you, do you ever wake up and you have to command yourself to show up? That's hagnizo. Purify your mind, Greg. You're double-minded. That's not the work. Some of you are angry because God hasn't made you show up. Brother, that's not his job. That's your job. That's not, that's not his job to make, give you a single mind. He's given you a pure heart so that you can command your mind to be single, right? And he has commanded, he's given you the ability, the authority to now speak to your hopelessness and say, I hope in Jesus. That's purifying my heart. Do you want to know why it's a power tool? Because the first one 
in a relationship who falls into despair, whew, can we all talk about how difficult that is? You, many actions come out of disparity. But being able to claim on my own right now, no matter what Kate does or when we are dating, no matter who she is or what she does, that I can command my soul to worship. That is me washing my hands. That is me purifying my heart. I mean, what John says, hope in the Lord, your obedience to truth. This is where I have to say, like, I will make myself obey. I will command my soul to trust. Like, I need you to hear, some of you have not chosen to hagnizo because you think it's God's responsibility to make you trust him. You think it's God's responsibility to give you a single mind. You think it's God's responsibility to end your sin pattern. God has made you pure so that now you can say no to the sin. You want pity from your spouse for, for you consistently going. The act is, no, I will wash my hands and I will say no and I will stand as in the authority of the man that I am as pure, holy, clean. It's very different. And marriage, this is a tough work, sometimes a covert one. Like, I just want to be honest. Like, married people, it's not easy. In fact, I, I, I think there's a stigma in Christian life. Can I just speak to stigma? The stigma in Christian life is that purity is hard to maintain when you're not married, but easy to maintain when you are married. I think that's a load of crap. I'm going to speak to that. That is complete garbage. Purity is easier to define and maintain as a single man than it is as a married man. Do you want to know why? Because I am not tied with her. Her craps, her craps as a single man. Like it's not, it's very easy to know my things and I ask the Lord and so I can very easily hognizo, which is I am, this is what I'm willing to do as a man and that's not. Sister, if you want that, you're not for me. Bye. Like it's that, and I know you're like, no, no, but it is a commanding of the soul. You want to know why purity is really hard? I cannot command my full soul to obey the Lord now. I have to also trust that the Lord is going to work on my wife so that she commands her soul to obey him. And so I can live pure. I can live in obedience, but it will it's a blurred line, me and Kate. We are one. And so now, even on her sinful days, it affects me. It affects me. On her sinful, where in dating, I'm like, that's yours. This is mine. Like, quite literally, there is a gap. Now, on her sinful days, it affects me. And so pursuing purity must now mean we are pursuing it together. And now I, I get this in a, in a context of where how, why, the Lord gives favor and he gives grace to an unrepentant spouse who is not, that you can, this is where the Lord says, at peace, as much as it is in you, be at peace with them. You can pursue, that it will affect you, but you can constantly say, Lord, cleanse my heart. But can we talk about how hard that is? Their sin affects me and now I feel, 
I feel devalued. I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. These are things that now I have to get clean from. Like, that's the mess of a marriage. Like, these are things that, like, I now have to get clean from because of this. In a dating relationship, I encourage you, we create healthy boundaries in what we're going to talk about, what we're not willing to do, because of hogniso, because we're saying, I am daily going to be clean. And the interesting thing is they will either take it or they won't, but that decision is not yours to make. You get to make what you're going to make. And if it doesn't happen, you can be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and say, that's not for me. But in a marriage, it's difficult. It's a little bit more covert. How do I pursue purity with someone who doesn't want to? How do I pursue purity with someone when it's tough? So I'm about to shift tones, okay? I'm about to shift tones because now we're going to need to talk about how do we actually hognizo in all of our contexts. Okay, so we did this theological work. It's different than catharos, right? It's different. But now we got to get into this, and I'm going to open up to my, my can of worms. If you know anything about me, I freaking love 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You want a passage to dive into, to like me- memorize, to let eat over your soul, like just let it change you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to just open up. Uh, it'll be up on the screen, but I need to give you some preface because it does fit perfectly. The Lord's blessing on you is blessed are you, my son, my daughter, because you are pure in heart. You have been made clean. And so what is your blessing? You get to see me. Paul says this to the Corinthians, all of us with unveiled faces. Now, we're not like Moses who had to put this, that that the glory was fading. No, no. All of us with unveiled faces, we get to see the glory of the Lord as if it's it's reflected in a mirror. And the beauty is, as we see him, we become more like him, Paul says. From We are now transforming into that image from one degree of glory to the next. All of this is from the Lord. And you're, he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? Beautiful chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But then he says this in chapter 4. He says, therefore, since it's by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, since this ministry being um, of unveiled face, seeing him, being able to now be transfixed by his gaze and, and literally be operating and transforming from, uh, there's a lot, uh, yes, everyone. <laughs> Uh, I love it when people are like, what's going on behind me? What we get to do now, what Glory Church is even, why we are called Glory Church is we now operate from one degree of glory to the next, the more that we see him. We're changed by him. And so therefore he says, we do not lose heart. Verse two, we have renounced the shameful things that one hides. And he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but instead by an open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone in the sight of God. So I'm going to get like very practical, very teachy, preachy for you real quick, because the, the truth is right here. Like, because I am catharos and can see God, I get to do these things, these three things, okay? The first one being, I get to not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Some of you need to like, you know, you now get to command your heart to hope in the Lord. You want to purify your heart every day 
Just say, I will not lose heart. I see him. I will strive to see him. I am clean. I do not lose heart. It's really interesting if we can all, like, discouragement can weigh heavy on the eyes that are trying to see God. Discouragement will weigh heavy. Discouragement will push your eyelids down, and you're like, I'm trying to see God. But it's just a dis- it's another thing after another thing. This is when you must command my soul to hope. I must command my soul. That's not something God has to do for me. I, he's already given me a heart. I will now choose to worship. I will now choose to praise. I will not lose heart in this place. Or else we become double-minded, right? We, we quickly, the downtrodden can quickly lose sight of purity. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase or the, the little acronym HALT? We're going to get really practical. HALT. It's this, like HALT. Uh, these are some times where your heart is going to be a little lost. And the moment a heart is lost, a heart begins to be double-minded. And I mean this uh, husbands, wives, dating people, single people, write some of this down. When you are hungry or hurting, you are steps away from discouragement. Can we just talk about it? Like uh, when you are angry or anxious, you are steps away from discouragement. When you are lonely, when you're lazy, when you're tired, when you're tense. And you're like, why are we talking? Because in a marriage relationship, these are the moments that your purity will go out the window in your conversations you will start operating out of a spirit that is not your own when you are hungry, when you are lonely. You will begin, a heart that is discouraged will struggle to see the Lord, and instead of hognizo, you will go to satisfaction. When you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're tense. So what you get to do, you have the opportunity as a man, as a daughter of the Most High, you have the opportunity to halt. Like you do, to say, no, I will not lose heart. I will halt. I will, when, because double-mindedness will set in. Do you know what that word literally means? You have two operating factors. This is the most difficult thing about counseling when, with couples is uh, when both couples have double-minded, now we got four minds to talk through. And that's just a lot. Like, can we all own? Like, that's just a whole lot. We got the, like, when, when it's just, Supposed to be two, but now we got four, some of us six, and there's just like all, and it's so many compartmentalization because that's what happens. We compartmentalize to protect ourselves, and then we start operating out of this compartmentalized person and wonder why this habit of pain keeps going on in my relationships. We must individually, like I, there, pastor can't do that. Like uh, God doesn't do that. We. We surrender all anxiety, right? We cast down, we submit it to the Lord. We, like, we cast all anxiety onto him, right? Like the scripture, we do it. He doesn't take it away from us, we give it. And you're like, well, why? Because he's already given us a heart that shouldn't long for it. The, the issue is we have to be repentant. We've chosen anxiety instead of praise already. So we're in fault in it. So we halt when we're lazy. Some of you, you get lazy a little too much. And what, ha- what hurts is your relationships. You get tired. If you're tired and you need to have a talk, don't wait. Some of you, like my pastor used to say, like, don't let the sun go down in your anger. You got this. Some of the best things that you can do if you're tired, 
you're a big boy. You can say, I'm not going to be tired. I'm not going to let this affect my heart. Like some of you, like moms in the room who are nursing, what you can do, like, and I, this is, I'm going to look to Kate because she's had many of nursing. You're just, I'm tired. I can't. There's things that you can control with what your mind and your, your words go to. And if you just can't have the conversation, you can decide to speak. I can't right now, but I want to. You see what I mean? Tiredness should not make way for withdrawal or conviction or anger or meanness. Tiredness can make way for a loving, like, I can't right now. I'm just exhausted. I just, can we get some food in our bellies? Like, can, can we just, let's, let's talk about this soon. And it's interesting, though, uh, Paul tells the Philippians, like, do everything, though, without murmuring and without arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. That word again, pure. Children of God. It's interesting when double-mindedness sets in, when those things start going down, guess what? The number one thing will start be on your lips. You will start nagging. You will start murmuring. You will start being hateful. You will start arguing. Anytime that happens in, a, in your dating relationships, can you just pause pause. I am letting this gargling attitude of me being lonely create argument. Instead of just pausing and saying, no, this is, I think I just feel lonely. And I've let you, I've made you the antidote for my loneliness. And it's made me angry. This is a sound mind that a catharos heart can do. Why? Because you see God. Like, and you're like, I don't even know how to get there. That's okay. It's constant prayer. Like, God, why am I jumping to this place? Uh, a fun little word, like some of you need to write this down. You need to say it to yourself. It's like, you know, hagonizo. Let's, let's do some hagging and not nagging. Some of you need to do that. Like, let's hagonizo my day. Like, you need to write that on a mirror. Some of you constantly nag. You complain. You speak it. No, I will hagonizo and I will not nag. I will hag, not nag. Like, it's, it's just going to be in my, my, because everyone else is being hurt by it, by my lack of purifying myself. I'm spitting fumes on everyone. No, I will not let that happen. I will halt. I will command my soul to obey. I will command my soul to praise. I will command my soul to hope, to wait. But the second thing that Paul says is we renounce the shameful things that one hides. We renounce. It's interesting. Shameful things are not just actions. Shameful things are also thoughts. Shameful things um, are not just, they can be fears, they could be worries. They could be memories. They could be reoccurring dreams. And it's interesting when these things, un unmissed expectations, can be shameful things. And when these fester, we do not act pure. When these things fester, we do not act pure. It's interesting when they fester like... Uh, that is when I become an ugly version of myself is because I let that thought or I let that fear or I let that stress or I let that anxiety fester in me. As a child of the Most High, I am called to renounce the shameful things that one hides. It's really beautiful. We have been doing like a course of healing and deliverance course and it's like a little workbook and there's nothing powerful about the workbook, but what is powerful is what the person begins to do through like obeying the Holy Spirit 
And for the first time, these men and women are confessing. They are, they are renouncing the shameful things that they had. And it's not like they did these things. Some of us, we feel so shamed and ashamed of the things that were done to us. And that has hurt our ability to respond to people now. Do you see that that happens? Like, and, and so renouncing doesn't just mean you did the shameful thing, but you have, you, it happened to you and you've categorized it as something unable to get the light of day. And so in that it's festered and it has hurt. And it is interesting because the word renounce means to formally declare one's abandonment of something. I renounce that happened. I renounce what, what was proclaimed over me. I renounce what, what, the way that I was touched in. I renounce all of these things because it will not be a part of me now. I, it, is, it is gone. I'm formally declaring that it is done. The interesting thing, though, uh, many times we think, and I need you to hear this, we think our confession or our storytelling of that thing is us renouncing it. Me speaking it, me even confessing it to Kate that I've been having this thought of, of um, anxiety or I'm just really stressed and I just keep giving into it. Me confessing it, I can go and pat my back. That's not renouncing. Me confessing it, me making it known, even me saying, like, Kate's like, Greg, you keep not cleaning up your things. Like, number one, like, can we all, like, sometimes our, la- our ugliness, our, like, immaturity is a shameful thing that we hide, right, right? Like, can we just all agree that just owning up to something is not renouncing it? Can we all agree that even, like, saying I'm sorry to something is not us renouncing it? Kent came up to me yesterday, and I was like, Kate, this is going to preach. Kent came up to me yesterday, and he's trying to pull his pants up above, like on top of the dirty pants. And he's like my five-year-old, the dirty pants. And then I realized how bulky his shirt is. And he has, he has put a clean shirt over the unclean shirt. And he's trying, he's like, dad, help me. And he's struggling to pull his pants on top of the other pants. I'm like, buddy, you got to take off the dirty clothes before you put on the clean ones. And I looked at Ken and I said, that's going to preach. <laughs> I, I'm not... There have been too many times in our relationships where we have made known that we've been clothed in anger. We have made known that we've been clothed with distrust. We've been made known that we are clothed with pain from what they did a a year ago. We've made known that we are clothed with this. But we keep just putting good things on top of it. We keep literally, like I do, I do this to Kate, like I am sorry that I let that happen again. And what, what does the, the idea of a man always do? What do, we, what do we try to do? We just try to do many good things to show, to prove that we're different, right? To fix it. I'm like, Kate, look at all the clean clothes I got on. And she's like, you look beefy because you, 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 you got ugly clothes underneath. You have not changed it. You haven't changed it, Greg. Like you just keep trying to do good things, but that attitude is still there, Greg. That attitude is still there. We must renounce the thing that is shameful that one hides. We cannot keep doing good things and think that that overcomes it. That's not purifying ourselves. Do you hear me? Are you with me? Why do we keep having to go to counseling for this? Because I'm sorry isn't cutting it. 
Why do we keep having to go back to this? Because I'm sorry wasn't renouncing. I need to formally declare I am done with it, which means I must see that this dirty clothes, this dirty clothes, these things are actually hurting my ability to be smelly and good. Like it hurts my ability. Like Kent, brother, like you smell bad and no clean clothes on top of it is going to change that. You need to take the dirty ones off. Like let's, let's, let's fix this. How long have you worn those underwear? You're like me no no, uh, me not wearing any, all the things, like all these are bad. We do this all the time. Like, we must let the Lord cleanse us by us doing the act of purifying myself. I will renounce the shameful things that I hide. Why can't we move on from this? Because I'm sorry is not renouncing. Why can't we move on from this? Is because remorse is not renouncing. Uh, why can't we move on from this? It's because even doing good is not renouncing. I wrote this. Sometimes we keep storing deep down that pain, that fear, that agenda, that desire, that thought. Some of you, you had a bad, you keep having bad dreams or you have bad anxiety. And instead of just making it known to your partner, you just keep trying to do the opposite of having happy thoughts. And like, that'll do good except when you're married. Like, like that'll do good except when you're married because no happy thought is going to keep my deep hitting anxiety from me attacking my wife, right? Like it, it must, I must renounce the shameful thing that one hides. But there's another reason. Uh, the second, sometimes that um, past offenses keep coming up in relationships. And it's like, why do we keep going to this? The renouncing the shameful things. Have you ever heard of uh, gunny sacking? Some of you are like, what did pastor just say? Gunny sacking. You're like, what in the Arkansas did you just say? Yes, yes, I'm from Arkansas. Let me just tell you, let me just tell, tell you about the little gunny sack that all of you have. In your gunny sack is every small thing that annoyed you about your spouse. In your gunny sack, hidden deep in your gunny sack, is all of the ways and reasons to why you can't trust them with this. In your gunny sack is... I will go to my friends for this, but I won't go to my friends for this because of that thing that they did. Or that one time when I asked them to clean up and they didn't clean up. So in your gunny sack is all the tiny little offenses or even, dare we say, the, just the things that you don't like. They are immature. Why can't they just uh, refill the toilet paper? Like all of in your gunny sack are just the dumb little things that make you angry about your spouse. Can I tell you though? What ends up happening with a gunny sack is when the perfect time comes, you empty it out on them. And you say, look at all of this. Look at all of this. Do you want to know why you're in the wrong? Because of all these things. Do you want to know why you're in the wrong? Because my gunny sack's full of the wrong that you've done. Do you see this? The gunny sack. Can we just, the reason things keep happening is not because Maybe it's not even because they keep doing it. It's because you keep holding on to what they kept doing. You keep holding on to it. So in a relationship, you want to purify yourself? 
empty out your gunny sack. Renounce the things that you hold deep in. Until you do that, you will not have a pure marriage with your spouse. I love keeps no record of right or wrong. Love keeps no record. And so in that gun, it better, you just take off the whole thing, okay? Don't even just empty, just take off the whole thing. I renounce the fact that every single time you do that, I think back to when you did it and it meant this to me. I renounce that. I've, I've held on to it for too long. I renounce the fact that, that you, like Kate has had to do this. I broke her heart. I broke her heart. I broke up with her when we were dating. I broke her heart. We were gonna, we were, you know, about to get married. It happened. Broke her heart. The worst thing that could possibly happen in our marriage is in her gunny sack that time that I she thought things were going good and I flipped the switch and broke up with her. If that was in her gunny sack, then she will never trust a good thing with me. Because that time when it looked good and it wasn't good. I must renounce the shameful thing that I've hidden, that I am hurt still, that I still am holding on to that. Do you get me now? This is why this is so huge in purifying ourselves. In marriage, 20 years, you've got 20 years of things, of things in your gunny sack. Like you've got 20, you must put it down. I renounce the shameful things. I will not carry this. In. I command my soul to forgive. Not like Jesus helped me to forgive, Jesus, help me to trust. No, I command my soul to forgive. Well, I don't trust them. You don't have to trust them. Trust the Lord. Command your soul to forgive. Command it. I command my soul to release. I command. And the last thing, it's interesting, we refuse to practice cunning or to distort truth. This is where the, the hardest thing in a marriage, in a relationship, is the distortion of truth. The distortion of truth. We like to say purity is whether, like, is impure means they had, had premarital sex and so they're impure. Like, we just attach purity to sex. Greater than any of that, impurity is a distortion of truth. It is. It is a distortion of truth. It being Acting impure is because we do not believe the truth that we are pure. And so even in doing the sin, we are proclaiming a distortion of truth. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Like even the very act of doing sin is me living in a way that is going against, it's speaking fallacy to what God's word has claimed over me. Like in the very sense. So when the enemy... The reason he loves destroying the intimacy life of a marriage or to blur the lines of the intimacy life of a dating couple, it's not because, and in our desire to preach holistic sexuality, the past 20 years has done a very poor job as the church. We've either not talked about it or talked about it wrongly. And so we've made it the issue, but it's not. It's the issue for the enemy because sex is one of the number one ways for us to be pure and whole together in light of God's truth. It is. It's we can worship him as a, as a married couple, but purity is the opposite. So we don't practice cunning. What that word cunning is this practice, the intentional practicing of a double mind. 
You're, in, you're not just having a double, you're intentionally practicing. You're living out this alternate life where like you're not trying to fix your compartmentalization. You're not trying to fix that you're go-to, but you're literally agreeing with the fact that you have this double life and everyone just needs to deal with it. Because I see it this way, but I'm also struggling to see it this way. That is practicing cunning. I refuse to do that. I will claim truth. I will not even, I will not even, um, excuse myself anymore. You see, in a lot of my arguments, well, Kate, like, I was hurt, and so that's why I did that. That's no excuse. That is practicing cunning ways. That's no excuse. I should not have done that. I'm not even going to excuse the fact that I was hurt. I hurt you because I was hurt, and I should not have done that. I will not excuse. I will not practice that I'm, I'm warring with two thoughts. No, I will cancel that one. I will, I will refuse it. I will not distort truth, and I will go single-mindedly. I will command my soul. Does this make sense? We have to refuse. The word cunning is just, I'm going to practice methods of communication that doesn't take into account reality. And sometimes we do that, like, you, you speak something not really taking into account reality. You want to speak something taking into account your reality. So we, in purity, now can ask the Lord, give me sight to see clearly so that I can come to a conversation and not force my thoughts. Because I'm not seeing the whole picture. So help me see the whole picture so I can be pure. Help me see the whole picture so I can live out. So I will not, I will not force a thought. I will not, I will not force my reality on something. I will seek yours. What is it? What if before we think or speak, this is, this is just like mind-blowing. I mean, this, some of you are going to be like, whoa. What if before we think or speak, what if we just have the thought, what if I'm wrong? What if before we speak to our spouse, we just think, what if I'm wrong in this opinion? What if before we speak, we literally think, what if this is not reality? What if this isn't reality? And then I can, I can do a second thought, God, what is reality? Not reality as my wife says it, because sometimes she's not living in reality, okay? She ain't living in reality, and I, I'm not living in reality, and that's not a reality we want our kids to grow up in. But some of you, you keep, you keep letting your kids grow up in a reality of your choosing and their choosing, and together it's just, Ugh. God, what is your reality? What is your reality? And I will speak into it. What are you thinking? What are you saying into this? I'm not going to distort truth anymore. People who distort truth will use it for their gain. They will mold it into their stories. Paul has decided, though, I, by the blood of Jesus, will not distort truth. I will not fumble something to make myself seem better. I will, I will just say it as it is, and I love it. Peter says, now you have purified your souls by your obedience to truth. Can you put that up for them? Uh, you've purified your souls through the obedience of truth, so now you have genuine love. You have genuine love. You want to know what real love is? It's only operated through us. When we say, God, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, God, like, I need to obey your word. If you're living in disobedience, you will not love them well. Like, that's why purity is so huge. But we love each other. No, you don't. If you're not, like, no. Like, I, I just need to claim the fact I don't love Kate well when I'm in disobedience. 
And the first time I, and when I, when I own that, now I'm living in truth. Now I'm living in reality. I will not claim that I love her well if I'm being disobedient to the Lord. It is through me bending myself to the Lord that I will have this mutual love that blesses her. So as we get into this uh, prayer, as we close, like, as we get into this week is what I was going to say. I, I really am, I am aware of the fact that your purity is not at stake, but your, your, your use of purity has been at stake. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.